Hello, my friends. Uh, good day to you all. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I greet you all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we are talking about, we are in the subject of the blood covenant. And today, I want to start, re, uh, start sharing with you from uh, Ezekiel 48 to verse 35. But before I do that, let me tell you the background of what I'm going to talk about. You see, as I said earlier, that God had revealed himself uh, to Abraham and of course to, to Israel as Yahweh, or which in English we call Jehovah, which is God's covenant name. And Yahweh actually means I am. I am is his covenant name uh, with which he, uh, he introduced himself to Israel. And the interesting thing is that actually the name Yahweh, uh, you know, in Hebrew, it consists of four consonants. That's all. There's no vowels there. And the four consonants, the English equivalent of those four consonants, consonants is Y-H-W-H. So nobody <coughs> really knows how the name of God is pronounced. And the, and the Jews have always, always said that uh, it is, um, uh, you know, the name of God is too holy to be pronounced by human lips. So Wherever the name Yahweh is in the Bible, they would say the Lord, you know. So, and and even in English, when have you noticed uh, how uh, uh, how some people when they write God, they don't even write G O D, they write God underscore D, which I think is pretty ridiculous because uh, God is not the name of God. God is a generic word for deity, but it it kind of reflects that same thought that we are not allowed to pronounce the name of God. So. Uh, but Yahweh, uh, the full, those four consonants, Y-H-W-H, uh, we could say Yivi, Yivu, Yuvi. You can put anything in there, but we, nobody knows. But we say Yahweh, Yahweh for simplicity's sake, uh, because it's easy to pronounce, but it's not really Yahweh. Nobody knows what it is because it consists of four consonants, Y-H-W-H. So, but for simplicity's, simplicity's sake, we call it Yahweh. That's the name of God, the covenant name of God. Now, a Jew would never say Yahweh he, because for him, the name is too holy to be pronounced by human, to be uttered by human lips. But we say Yahweh and the English version of Yahweh is Jehovah. You, you probably heard that word. But anyway, to give you a background. So God revealed himself as Yahweh. Uh, and, and then, but that word Yahweh uh, was compounded together with another word. So those are the compound Yahweh names. And the first one, uh, we, you know, we're going to study some of those names with which God introduced himself in the scripture. And the first one uh, we are going to study is Yahweh Shamma. Yahweh Shamma. Yahweh Shamma means I am the ever-present one. Yahweh Shamma means I am the one who is ever present. So God promised Israel in his covenant with them that he would always be present with them. That was, uh, he, you know, one of the compounded Yahweh names of the covenant. Yahweh Shamma, I am the Lord who is always present or I am the Lord, the ever present one. In other words, God promised Abraham and of course to Abraham, the people of Israel, that he would always be present with them. And so in Ezekiel 43, verse 35, this is what the scripture goes, um, uh, scripture says, it said, the distance around the city shall be 18,000 measures and the name of the city from that day and ever after shall be the Lord 
is there. Yahweh Shama. That, that means the name of the city shall be the Lord is there or the Lord is present or the Lord is ever present. That's Yahweh Shama. The name of the city would be Yahweh Shama because the Lord said, I will always be there. And um, now in Psalm 46, 1 to 3, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. So let me read the, uh, this, uh, the, the, the three verses. It says, God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable to temptation, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth should change and though the mountains shall be shaken in the midst of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling and tumult, Selah. That means pause and calmly think of that. So what, what Psalm 46 verse, verses 1 to 3, it says God is our refuge and our strength. And not only that, but he is a very present. He's an always present and proven help in the time of trouble. That's the thing that God promised Abraham and the people of Israel. I'm Yahweh Shammah, the, uh, the ever-present one. So whenever you are in trouble, I am always present and I am your refuge and your strength. What a wonderful promise of God's presence in every situation. I am your refuge and I am your strength and I am the one who is always present to you. And because of that, you will not fear. Even if the mountains shall be shaken and the earth should change, God is our refuge. And we should, as Christians, should think of this these days when people are so afraid, people are so panicking, what's going to happen in the world? And, you know, I hear all kinds of stories from people. People are just afraid, not stories, but speculations of what's going to happen in the future. But I know this much. I don't know what's going to happen in the future uh, unless God shows me. But one thing I do know that is written in the book and that's worth money in the bank, that God is our refuge and strength. And he is a very present help in the time of trouble. That means God is always present with his people. Hallelujah. What a wonderful covenant promise he gave to the people of Israel. And so we see that the people of God, the, the people of Israel could always meet with God at the tabernacle. You know, uh, the tabernacle, they could always meet with God at the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was. His presence was always there. So, you know, you had the people of Israel and you had the tabernacle. And uh, everybody knew where the tabernacle was. And in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And his presence was always manifested there. It never left that place. It was always there. So if people uh, wanted, uh, wanted uh, to meet with God, that's the place to go to. If uh, uh, Moses, whoever was, wanted to hear from God, inquire of the Lord. You know, you talk, you talk about the old prophets inquiring of the Lord. That's the place to go to. You go to the tabernacle. You go to the, you know, where the Ark of the Covenant is and you are in, you're at the tabernacle. And that's where you seek the face of God because that's where God is present and that is where God speaks. So 
the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, it was in the tabernacle and the tabernacle was always with the people of God. So God was always present with them. That was his covenant promise to the people of Israel. I'm Yahweh Shammah. I'm the ever present one. And then it says here in Exodus 25, 22, and there I will meet with you and I will speak to you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So God had said that, listen, that place, the mercy seat, which is between the two cherubim, I'm sure you've seen um, pictures of the Ark of the Covenant. It's like a box and you've got these two cherubim and you've got the, the handles, you know, which people, which the Levites carried it, uh, you know, carried the Ark on their shoulders. And in between the two cherubim was the mercy seat. And the Lord says, I will speak to you there. You need to hear anything from me. Come to that place and I will speak to you from there. And so <clears throat> God spoke to the people of Israel from the mercy seat, which was at the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant, which was kept in the tabernacle. So that God, through that, God fulfilled his promise. I am the Lord, the ever present one. I will never leave you. You will never come that come and find that I'm not there. I will always be there and I will speak to you now. In Exodus 33, 7 to 11, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. That's interesting. So the tent of meeting was the ark of, you know, the tabernacle. The word tabernacle actually means a tent. In modern day language, that would mean a tent. So now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. It was known as the tent of meeting because that's where you meet with God. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So whenever people wanted to seek the Lord and they used to go to the tent of meeting because that is where the presence of God was. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. So, you know, in those days, all the people of Israel, they used to live in tents. They didn't have houses. They lived in tents. So whenever Moses was going to the tabernacle to inquire of the Lord, to be with the Lord, to speak to God, for God to speak to him, the people used to come out and watch him as he, as he went. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend, descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. So now this is, I must mention that about the pillar uh, of cloud and the pillar of fire at night. So God had said that his presence would be there and it would be manifested also through the pillar of cloud which would be seen in the daytime and at night there'd be a pillar of fire in the sky, which would be seen at night. So those two things also reminded people of the fact that the Lord is, Lord is with us. This is the pillar of cloud and at night the pillar of fire would come and take its place. And um, so th those were outward physical manifestations of the presence of God in the place and they were there 24 seven. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak 
with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. This is interesting. When Moses was in the tent inquiring of the Lord, the pillar of cloud would come down and it would stand outside the door of the tent because that was a sign that Moses inside speaking of the Lord and when speaking to the Lord and when people would see the pillar of cloud, they would all rise up and they would worship because they had a reverence for God. Reverence for, listen, one of the keys to revival is the reverence of God. We need to bring the reverence of God back in the church, especially in our day. Worship as tendo. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So God used to speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. When Moses, and then when God had, was through speaking with Moses, when Moses turned against in, again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now this is interesting. So Moses would <coughs> walk to the tabernacle to inquire of the Lord, and when the people would see him going, they would all come out of their tent and stand at the door and watch Moses go. Then when Moses would enter the tent, the, the, pillar, of the, uh, the pillar of cloud would come down, which was always over the people of Israel, would come down and descend, and it would stand at the doorway of the tent. So people, the entrance, so people knew that Moses was inside speaking to the Lord, and the Lord would speak to Moses as a man speaks to his friend face to face. Moses had such an intimacy with God that the Lord would speak to him like a man speaking to his friend face to face. So God would speak to Moses. And then as after the Lord had spoken to Moses, Moses would leave and turn and go back to the camp where everybody's, everybody lived. He would leave the tabernacle, go back to the camp. But his servant Joshua, who was a young man, he would not leave the tent. He would stay at the tent. Firstly, Joshua was a young man. Secondly, he loved the presence of God. That's why he would stay at the tent. So he was Moses' assistant and servant, this young guy. So he used to come with Moses and be with Moses all through the time when God would speak to Moses. And when Moses was finished, God was finished, Moses would leave. But Joshua, he loved the presence of God so much that he would stay on in the tent and he would not leave. And it makes me think that could be the reason that when Moses died, God handed leadership of the people of Israel to Joshua that listen Joshua loved the presence of God and that is the reason God chose him to be the leader of the people of Israel after Moses and when Joshua stood before the people uh, and said God had chosen him to lead people said fine we'll follow you as long as the Lord is with you as he was with Moses and the people did follow him because the Lord was with Joshua like he was with Moses. You read the whole book of Joshua, you'll see how he led the people in a fantastic way because the Lord was with him like he was with Moses. But the most striking thing that already as a young man, he loved the presence of God. And because he loved the presence of God, God 
chose Joshua to lead. So listen, young people, especially you who feel you're called to leadership, your greatest qualification, firstly, is to serve somebody. Joshua, serve Moses. Serve. Learn to serve. Learn to humble yourself and learn to serve. Secondly, be with the man of God wherever he goes and watch the way he worships God. Watch the way God speaks to him. Watch the way he speaks to God. And thirdly, stay in the presence of God. Love the presence of God. Like Joshua stayed on in the presence even after Moses had left. So these are, these are just a few important pointers. But anyway, but here we see the presence of God manifested to Israel as God had promised. I'm Yahweh Shammah, the ever-present one. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence was manifested. And so now we see, uh, th this is interesting. What had happened was this. I'm reading from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. I'm going to give you a background to this story. And the background was that, uh, uh, that the uh, Philistines had uh, taken the Ark. You know, they had defeated the Israel, Israelites in battle and they had taken the Ark and, uh, um, and they had taken the Ark to their temple and, uh, and put it there next to the statue of their call called uh, Dagon. And so they put it next to a statue of Dagon. And the next morning when they woke up, uh, the statue of Dagon had fallen to the ground. And then after that, all, kind of, all kinds of bad things began to happen to the Philistines. So the Philistines sent a message to David, excuse me, saying, please come and take your ark back. So they went to the Philistines to take the ark. And what happened was that they put the ark on an ox cart. But now this was a fatal mistake because God had specified that the ark should only be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, the priests. But they put it on an ox cart, a new ox cart. So you break the rules, you do it well. You put it on a new ox cart. Well, they were bringing it and then the one of the wheels of the ox cart fell into a rut and the Ark of the Covenant was about to tip over when there was a man called Uzzah. Uzzah put his hand out to steady the ark and God struck him dead. He was struck dead. He died because God had said <coughs> nobody, nobody except he's a Levite should be allowed to carry the ark or to touch the ark. So David got, David got very scared. He got very, very frightened. So what they did, they took the ark and there was a house close by, just a regular guy. His name was Obed-Edom. So they put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. And I can imagine Obed-Edom was frightened because suddenly the ark of God and this guy had just been killed outside his house because of the ark. So now the ark of God is in his house. So the um, Obed-Edom's house, you know, had, uh, had the ark in it. And what happened, the the ark of the Lord was in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And during those three months, God blessed Obed-Edom's socks off. God blessed him, blessed the man and blessed his whole house because Obed-Edom had the presence of God in his house. And so David heard how God had blessed Obed-Edom and he wanted the ark in, in Jerusalem, in the city of David, as they called it. Okay, this, so now, 
This is, I'm reading from 2 Samuel 6, 9 to 15. And, the, and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? <coughs> so David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him in the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim the Gittite. So, you know, David was afraid when he saw the way Uzzah had been struck dead. So he put the, he was afraid to bring it to Jerusalem, the city of David, as it was called then. And he put the ark in the house of Obedidim. And verse 11. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedidim the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. God blessed Obedidim and his household for three months. During the three months, the ark was there. And it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obedidim and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So they told David, somebody told David, listen, that ark in the house of Obedidim, Obedidim is being blessed because the ark in his, is in his house. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidim into the city of David with gladness. So David thought, you know, why should only he be blessed? Let me bring it to the city of David. And so, so David went to the house of Obedidim. Okay, look what happened. Verse 13. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. So what happened? David was so excited about bringing the presence of God into the city of David. I mean, he really, he was, because he believed that wherever the presence of God is, there is blessing. Wherever the presence of God is, there is abundant blessing. So what he did was that, you know, he went with his whole entourage and the Levites and everybody, musicians, and he says, they picked up the ark on their shoulders. This time he did it right. He did it with the Levites. They picked up the ark of David on the shoulders and they had walked six paces, six steps. Can you imagine? They're just like one, two, three, four, five, six. Six steps from the house of uh, Obedidim. And he immediately sacrificed oxen and animals. He made sacrifices unto the Lord. Just six steps. Outside the house of, uh, house of Abedidim. Then it says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen effort. And David danced. I mean, he didn't do like a charismatic two steps. You know, some of you people say you're Pentecostal. You've never danced in your life. Or you shake one leg or tap one foot and you call that dancing. Then there's churches I know. They call themselves Pentecostal. They don't allow dancing. If you dance, they would throw you out. But it says that David, he danced before the Lord with all his might, with all his physical strength. He danced before the Lord. Hallelujah. And he was girded with the linen effort. So David and all the house of Israel, they brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Hallelujah. Listen, the presence of God is always accompanied with shouting. When you have faith, when you believe that God does great things, the presence of God is always accomplished by shouting. Beloved, learn to shout and learn to praise God and learn to make a joyful noise. You know, the presence of God is always accompanied with shouting. And let me tell you a story. You see, you see, it's like this. 
people say, what, what does being Pentecostal have to do with making noise? Everything. We should make noise because we have something to shout about. Unbelief is dumb, but faith has a voice. You know, and let me tell you the story of Zechariah. That's the father of John the Baptist, okay? In Luke chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. So when the angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and told Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah was an old man. He was an old man. His wife, uh, Elizabeth, was old. And, and, and uh, God said to him, you'll have a son. And, you know, he'll be the forerunner of Jesus and all that. And this is what Zechariah said. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. Actually, it was, you know, when Zacharias was doing ministry at the altar, that is when the angel of God came. Can you imagine if you're doing ministry and an angel of God comes and it is Gabriel himself and he speaks to you and you immediately begin to question what he says. That's horrible. And uh, he says, and the angel answered into him, said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to speak to you and to show you this glad tidings. And he said, but because you don't believe in me, you don't believe what I said, you are going to be struck dumb until the child is born. So after that, from that problem uh, point onwards, uh, Zacharias was mute, dumb. He couldn't speak at all. And he couldn't speak. And uh, only when John the Baptist, the baby was born, was his tongue loosed. He was done. So then you have another person called Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter one, verses 46 to 49, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Luke. Uh, I mean, sorry, appeared unto Mary and said, you're going to have a child. And, uh, and Mary had a legitimate question. She said, I'm not even married. How shall this be? And it's she, he said, the spirit of the Lord has come upon you and you shall conceive and, you know, you shall bear a son. His name shall be Jesus, for he shall save his people from the sin. And look at the response of Mary. It was not in unbelief, but it was in faith. And Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden for behold from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed for he that is mighty has done to me great things and holy is his name. Hallelujah. So Zechariah's response was a response of unbelief and he went dumb. Mary, Mary's response was a proclamation of faith. And so she praised the Lord. So unbelief is dumb, but faith has a voice. That is why nobody should ever enter a Pentecostal meeting without a note of praise, without a shout or an utterance in tongues. You know, when you enter a Pentecostal meeting, you should always have an utterance in tongues or, or praise or, or praise unto the Lord or speaking faith. Something must always come out of your mouth. I tell people, I say, listen, when you come to a Pentecostal meeting, come, come with something good coming out of your mouth, either an utterance of praise or, or speaking in other tongues, or just shouting and praising God. Just come, come, enter into his gates with thanksgiving unto and into his courts with praise. So appreciate the presence of God. Amen. So the Lord had said to the people of Israel, and this was the first one is, I'm Yahweh Shammah. I'm the Lord, the ever-present one. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
That means God had promised to Abraham and to the people of Israel that he would always be with them. He will never leave them. Hallelujah. And we see that manifested in the story of the people of Israel. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. May they know your peace and your presence and your power in their lives. I ask you to bless every home, every family that can hear my voice. Father, I thank you, Father, that you bless our food and our water and turn every sickness away from them. Bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. I'll be seeing you again tomorrow.